From the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association, hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is Volume 41, Number 17, for week ending Friday the 30th of April 2021. This week's news includes our usual local Covid update, a mass vaccination facility comes to the town centre, a new art gallery getting set to open, and news on Mrs Vickers' recovery. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me with Aileen not available this week is Desney, your newsreader. In addition, I've got a bank holiday music quiz for you to ponder over. As usual, however, Desney is in front of the microphone for the first part of the news. Hello everyone, it's Desney here, your newsreader for the week. I didn't expect to be here quite so soon, but unfortunately Aileen's not available this week, so I've moved up a week. And here are some of the main stories from Great Yarmouth this week. Starting with some good news, almost one in three Norfolk and Waveney adults have had two Covid jabs. Almost one-third of adults in Norfolk and Waveney have received both doses of the coronavirus vaccine new figures can reveal. According to Public Health England, PHE, 30.6% of people aged 16 and over in the region have been fully vaccinated, just behind Somerset where 32.7% of its adult population has had their second vaccine. The PHE figures also show that Norfolk and Waveney has the fifth highest percentage of people aged 16 plus who have had their first jab in the country at 68.7%. Some 12,207 first doses were given out in the week up to April the 25th in Norfolk and Waveney, which is twice as many given in the previous seven days. And in the seven days up to April the 25th, there were 54,050 second doses administered, which is a slight decrease on the previous week's figure of 58,455. Across the region, 585,225 first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine have been given and the number of second doses administered has reached 260,444. The figures also reveal that North Norfolk has the ninth highest percentage of people aged 16 and over who have had their first jab in the country at 71% and Broadland has the eighth highest percentage who have had their second jab with almost a third fully vaccinated at 32.3%. And some of Norfolk's coastal neighbourhoods feature in the top 10 areas of England in which people aged 16 and over have received both doses. Heacham and Snettisham in West Norfolk has the fifth highest percentage with 47.2% and Brancaster 
Burnham Market and Docking in North West Norfolk has the 8th highest percentage with 46.6%. The vaccination figures come as there has been a slight increase in rate of coronavirus cases in Norfolk. In the seven days up to Thursday, April the 22nd, was 16.9 cases per 100,000 people. That was up 13% on the 14.9 cases per 100,000 people over the previous week up to Thursday, April the 15th. But it remains well below the England average of 24.6 per 100,000 and lower than the Eastern Region average of 20.6 per 100,000. Hit and miss weather forecast for bank holiday weekend. The first bank holiday since pubs and restaurants reopened outdoors looks like being a chilly weekend with some heavy showers. Drinkers and diners might be wise to wrap up warm and pack an umbrella with forecasters predicting hit and miss weather. After one of the driest Aprils on record, May is set to start damp with showers forecast before heavier rain and strong winds arrive on Bank Holiday Monday. The Met Office outlook for Norfolk from Friday to Monday forecasts the long weekend will bring chilly temperatures with sunny spells and scattered showers on Saturday and Sunday before rain and strong winds on Monday. Fred Best of Norris-based forecasters WeatherQuest said both Saturday and Sunday we'll see a bright start, but it will turn cloudier over the day. Then we will see showers develop in the afternoon, but they're going to be quite hit and miss. Some places might see sharp showers, other places will stay mainly dry or may just see the occasional shower. Temperatures will be below average for the time of year, with inland highs of 11 to 13, and a touch of frost still in the morning in places. Things will turn a bit more unsettled on Bank Holiday Monday. It'll be mainly dry for the most of the morning and early part of the afternoon, but it will then turn pretty windy into the evening with some fairly heavy rain into Tuesday. The weekend takes on added significance as the first bank holiday since hospitality businesses were reopened as the roadmaps out of lockdown continue to gather momentum. While Norfolk has experienced one of its driest Aprils on record, temperatures have been unseasonably low, meaning it has been a chilly return for customers at businesses that will be hoping for a post-lockdown bank holiday boom in trade. Mr Best said East Anglia was on track for the second driest and second coldest April on record. It is already the frostiest in at least 60 years. There have been 18 days of air frost in the past month, making it the frostiest April since records began in 1960, provisional Met Office data shows. Missing woman's body found in car on coast. The body of a woman has been found in a car on the coast. Officers from Norfolk Police attended 
Wood Farm Lane in Galston shortly before 11.30am on Monday, April the 26th, where they discovered a woman inside a car. Emergency services attended, but the woman was pronounced dead at the scene. A police spokesperson said, while formal identification is yet to take place, the family of 80-year-old Anna Tyndale, who was reported missing from her home yesterday, have been informed. The death is not being treated as suspicious and a file will be prepared for the coroner in due course. Mrs Tyndale had been seen last on Saturday, April the 24th at 1pm at her home in Western Road. Neighbours who regularly check on her stopped by on April the 25th lunchtime to find she wasn't at home and that her car was missing from the driveway. It's a lifeline, family's tribute to hospice as it marks anniversary. The family of a man who was treated by a community health care provider in his final days have paid tribute to the care he received as the organisation marks its second anniversary. Tim Lathwell died of a brain tumour in January and thanks to the care of St Elizabeth Hospice and East Coast Community Health Care was able to live out the final stages of his life at home surrounded by his family. The service provides care to almost 2,000 patients across Waveney and Great Yarmouth who suffer with life-limiting illnesses. Patients receive specialist palliative care at Beckles Hospital in the community or via the 24-hour advice line one call. Mr Lathwell, a former East Suffolk Council cleaner of Carlton Colville, used the service after he was diagnosed with a brain tumour in November 2020. He received care from James Paget University Hospital and Addenbrooke's Hospital before being cared for at his home by specialist palliative care nurses from the hospice. Mr Lathwell died on January the 7th, but his family is eternally grateful for the support they received. Wendy Lathwell, his widow, said, The service was like a lifetime to Tim and our family. They treated him like a person and not like a patient, and they enabled us as a family to concentrate on being there for Tim when it mattered most. Most importantly, though, Tim was able to die at home. Once we knew his condition was incurable, we promised ourselves Tim would stay at home so we would be together until he passed. Without the support of the specialist palliative care team, I'm not sure this would have been possible, and we're so grateful to them that we were able to fulfil his wishes. Hannah McDowell, Head of Therapies and Community Care Unit at St Elizabeth Hospice, said, Over the last two years, it has been a privilege to work together with ECCH to make a real difference to patients and their families in Great Yarmouth and Waveney. We are encouraging anyone in the region who is living with a life-limiting condition or who has a loved one who has recently been diagnosed with an illness that requires palliative care to get in touch.
Owner watches in horror as fire engulfs thatched house. The owner of a fire-ravaged thatched house, thought to be the first to be built in a broads village, has shared his heartbreak. Adrian Holden said it felt unreal as he watched 65 firefighters battle thick smoke to save the Grade 2 listed home, Gables Farm, in Martham on Thursday. Having owned it for 12 years, it was currently used as a holiday let but had burned down before in around 1991, he said. The couple staying inside escaped before firefighters arrived on scene, he said. Ten crews rushed to the scene in Back Lane, Martham at around 11.30am on Thursday to reports of a fire in the thatched roof of the former farmhouse which dates from the mid-18th century. Neighbours were alerted but not evacuated from their homes. Roads heading towards the village were closed by police who were allowing access to those heading to the surgery. Assistant Chief Officer for Norfolk Fire and Rescue Service, Scott Norman, said crews were likely to be on scene well into the evening. He said they were working hard both inside and out of the house, taking a two-pronged approach in both firefighting and salvaging any valuables. As crews tackled the blaze, chairs, tables, mirrors, ornaments, books and much more piled up on the verge outside. By around 2pm on Thursday afternoon, the fire was still not under control, with crews moving to stripping the thatch to prevent the blaze from spreading to other parts of the roof. Meanwhile, a farmer offered to collect and store all Mr Holden's possessions, triggering a community effort to load the items onto a trailer. Mr Holden, who lives in the village, hailed the support from locals in helping with the heavy lifting and also the large response from the fire service which included a hydraulic platform and water carrier as well as multiple ambulances. He said he felt helpless amid the whirl of activity and that what was unfolding didn't seem real. He added that when he had bought the house he had been told it was the first one to be built in the village. So far it looked as if the fire had started in a shed at the back and spread to the roof, but an investigation would be launched to pinpoint the exact cause. People at the scene said they were saddened to see the scale of the devastation, adding that it was good to see the village had rallied round and mucked in with helping to save the contents. One man said it was a listed building and that he understood it was fully booked for the summer. An environmental protection officer was also on scene to ensure water did not run off into the drains and pollute the broad. People were told to avoid the area with fire crews set to be on scene late into Thursday evening and keeping a close eye for some time after the fire is out with the risk of small embers still burning. Girls football team playing boys as a challenge wins league. 
an all-girls football team are celebrating beating every boys team in their age group to emerge as league champions. Shrubland's under-13 girls were undefeated all season, an achievement their manager said was his most rewarding to date. After some eight games and an impressive 32 goals, they emerged as Division 3 winners after a 4-3 away win against Corton on Sunday in the Norfolk and Suffolk Youth Football League. During the whole season, they only conceded four goals and took home a couple of big wins, including one 12-1 thrashing. Manager John Barrett said they were a talented team with no weak links and everyone having their own strengths. Having been together for three years, they played their first two seasons in the boys' Sunday league, but a year below under a pilot scheme. However, having proved themselves worthy opponents, they were pushed up to their own age group as a challenge. Without the pandemic, they would have played 19 games, but four teams pulled out, and although they did play some others, the scores of eight matches were officially registered. The team, which also plays in a girls' Saturday league, features players from as far as Thetford, Watton and Bordswell, with around half from Galston. Mr Barrett said the boys soon realised they were in a good game when they started playing. And while not all teams were sporting in defeat, there had never been any major problems. He said any differences in physicality was made up for by the girls' skills being quick on the pitch and quick thinking. Meanwhile, the girls were over the moon, the majority having their sights set on higher football goals, having seen what was being achieved at national and international level with the Lionesses. Although they will miss out on a presentation evening normally held at Galston's Ocean Room due to Covid, the team is planning to celebrate with ice creams on the beach. They have one more game on Sunday, but will move up to play with the under-14s in Division 2 next year. Mr Barrett said he wanted to thank parents for their amazing support and commitment. Well, good on you girls. Mrs Vicar, the seal, recovering from horror injury. The injured seal that was christened Mrs Vicar due to a plastic ring digging into its neck for more than two years is making a recovery. The adult grey seal has been in the care of RSPCA's East Winch Centre for a month after she was caught by Friends of Horsey Seal volunteers on Easter Sunday. She had sustained a seven centimetre deep wound due to the ring, which had become very smelly. Now those caring for her say Mrs Vicar is showing signs of improvement, moving to the centre's outside pool to carry on with her recovery, but is likely to be there at least another three months. Alison Charles, centre manager at East Winch, said, When I first saw how severe Mrs Vickers' wounds were, I was really worried she wouldn't be able to make it. It was just so severe and infected, and you could smell the infected flesh, 
It was just awful. When the ring was removed, it then meant that her body released a huge swell of dangerous toxins, which she then had to fight off. So for the first few days, she didn't really move or show any signs of improvement. And although this is something we do see with necklace injured seals, it was still very worrying that she wasn't going to pull through. While we are all still very concerned for her, we are pleased that she is starting to make real steps of improvement. But it is still a very long road to recovery and she is still likely to be at the centre for another three months. The news of Mrs Vickers' story spread around the world and the centre received donations of hundreds of bags of salt and thousands of pounds towards its fish appeal. The centre cares for more than 150 seals a year and it costs £3,999 for each three pallets of mackerel for the mammals. Mrs Charles said, so far we have raised just over £8,700 and our target is 10000 so it would be wonderful if people can help us to reach this milestone. Mrs Vicar and all the other seals in our care are still getting through lots of mackerel, so we are still in need of donations if people want to help us. Well, thanks, Disney. More news in a nonce. But first, your bank holiday musical puzzler. Yes, I'm about to play you ten excerpts from ten pieces of music. Each one is a clue to the name of a well-known place in America. All you have to do is guess where. OK, here we go. Number one. Well, I thought we'd have the easy one to start with. Number two. Help me find a party trying to get in touch with me. She could not leave her number, but I know who placed the call. Because my uncle took the message and he wrote it on the wall. Help me information, get in touch with my Marie. She's the only one who Right, moving across the world a little bit more with this one. Ooh, where on earth is that? And where on earth is this? We'll go to Yonkers, where true love conquers in the wilds, and starve together, dear, in childs. We'll go to Coney and eat bologna on a roll. 
In Central Park we'll stroll Where our first kiss we stole Soul to soul Ah, the wonderful Ella. OK, that was number four. This one is number five. on to number six. I met a gang of gloomy guys who were doing all right till you came on the scene. You blew in from the Middle West, certainly impressed the population hereabouts. Well, baby, I got news for you. I'm from Missouri, too, so naturally I got my doubts. Mm, enough clues sung in there, methinks. A change of style. They couldn't pick a better time to start in life It ain't too early and it ain't too late Starting as a farmer with a brand new wife Soon be living in a brand new state Brand new state, gonna treat you great Gonna give you barley, carrots and potatoes Pasture for the cattle, spinach and tomatoes Flowers on the prairie where the June bugs zoom Plenty of air and plenty of room Plenty of room to swing a rope Plenty of heart and plenty of hope Plenty of hope indeed. That was number seven. Here's number eight. Now this could only happen to a guy like me And only happen in a town like this so may I say to each of you most gratefully As I throw each one of you a kiss You know, kissing me, mate. Number nine coming up. Until you see her, you'll agree My hometown gal's the only one for me Hmm, I wonder where I wonder where this one is The final number ten question Ten places to guess, with the answers at the end of the recording during the credits. OK, it's back to Desney now for more news. New art gallery to open in former Nelson Museum. The former Nelson Museum in Great Yarmouth is set for a new lease of life when it reopens next month as an art gallery. 
Having exhibited items dedicated to Admiral Lord Nelson for 17 years until the museum's closure in 2019, the building will soon display paintings and sculptures by both local and international artists. Now named the Yare Gallery, the premises on South Quay is owned by the Great Yarmouth Preservation Trust, GYPT, and has been revamped as a new free-to-enter art venue for the town. Sarah Lowndes, a Norwich-based writer, curator and lecturer, will oversee the venture. The gallery's opening exhibition, called Weathering, New Art from East Anglia, will feature the work of the Yarmouth Five, a group of artists based in the town, including Katarzynia Coleman, Bridget Heritz, John Kiki, Emrys Parry and Brewer Tidman. Other artists from across the region exhibiting work are Esmond Bingham, Anna Brass, Mark Cater, Ali Hewson, James Mastoya and Molly Thompson. The three-floor Grade 2 listed building with walled garden was once the home of parliamentarian Sir George England in the 17th century and now begins a new chapter as a setting for local and international art. Ms Lowndes said, I have chosen the title Weathering to reflect the way that the terrain and climatic conditions of East Anglia influence work made here and to acknowledge the resilience of artists who work in the region, ranging from those who have been active for many decades to newly emerging practitioners. Weathering will celebrate several generations of artists currently active in East Anglia. The exhibition will showcase the work of over 20 artists and feature paintings, sculptures, textiles and ceramics. This tactile and colourful exhibition highlights the heritage of handmade making in Norfolk and Suffolk through the works that are as vibrant and varied as the hues and atmospheres of the local landscape. The museum will open on May the 29th with the exhibition running for six weeks, followed by a changing programme of exhibitions by local and international artists and events throughout the year, including talks and community activities. To keep up to date with events and exhibitions at the Year Gallery, visit year.org.uk. Windows smashed and organ damaged in two church attacks. Attacks on two churches in Great Yarmouth area have seen windows smashed and an organ damaged. Police are appealing for information following the incidents that are not believed to be connected. The first incident saw the perpetrators remove lead from the rear window of All Saints Church in Billockby sometime between 4.30pm and 6.49pm on Friday, April the 16th. They also gained access to the church and the wooden front panel from the church organ is now missing. It follows the smashing of several small panes of glass in the leaded windows 
of St Mary's Church in Thrigby sometime between 5pm on the 7th of April and 5pm on April the 9th. Any witnesses or anybody with information is asked to contact PC Gary May at Great Yarmouth Police Station. No plans to axe Norfolk's Covid marshals just yet. Covid marshals are being retained by Norfolk councils despite coronavirus cases falling and restrictions easing. Dozens of officers have been used by councils to help encourage people and businesses to heed government advice over Covid-19 and to comply with restrictions. Those restrictions are being reduced and the next two steps on the government roadmap will, if the country remains on track over vaccines, infection rates, hospitalisations and variants, see further easing. From May the 17th, pubs and restaurants could be allowed to welcome customers back inside, while children's indoors play areas, cinemas, hotels and B&Bs will be allowed to reopen. And from June the 12th, the government hopes it might be able to remove all legal limits on social contact. But amid predictions of a third wave of the virus later in the year, some councils in other parts of the country are recruiting more. The Norfolk councils, which have responded to our queries, have said they are not currently recruiting more, but they have signalled that they do not intend to end the teams they had created just yet. Delivery driver, who was threatened with a knife, made to wait for wages. A delivery driver who quit after being threatened with a knife had to fight to get the pay which he was owed. Adrian Smith delivered parcels for DPD from its Snetterton depot from May 2020 until March this year. In February, while on a job in Great Yarmouth, he was threatened by a man with a knife. He quit soon after and said neither DPD nor the DPD contractor he worked through, called G5, checked to see how he was after the terrifying incident. The grandfather said he was delivering four parcels to a house on Alderson Road when a neighbour came out and shouted at him for the way he was speaking to the customer. The 62-year-old finished the delivery and went back to his van. I was sitting in the driver's seat with the window open and he, the neighbour, was standing right next to me with a knife, Mr Smith said. I can't remember what was said. He then walked away and I sped away and when I stopped I was shaking to bits. I phoned the police and then there were blue lights everywhere. A man was arrested and released under investigation. Almost a month after leaving, he said he was still owed £945 by G5 for nine days' work. Mr Smith said he would normally be paid in two weeks. He emailed G5 but heard nothing back. Things have been hard not being paid, he said, 
I was depending on that money. I had to dig into savings. After DPD was contacted by this newspaper on Friday about his case, G5 messaged him saying he had damaged the van and therefore they would only be paying him £190. However, one of the invoices for damage was for work on a van he had never driven. It has now agreed to pay him £500, which he has accepted. Mr Smith said, they only got in contact with me because of the EDP. It is unbelievable. G5 declined to comment, but a DPD spokesman said, DPD is naturally very concerned if any individual is not being paid for work that they have carried out, and we have raised the matter with the supplier. Another driver, Alfie Atherton, 22, from Thetford, also left G5 in mid-March, but as of April the 27th, said he had not been paid £420 for his last four days of work. He sent several text messages to a G5 director between March the 27th and April the 20th asking where his money was, but they have not been replied to. They have just been ignoring my messages, the father of three said. Mr Atherton said he quit after being given too many parcels to deliver in a day's shift. The most I had to do in a day was about 130 parcels, he said. I've done 13 to 14 hours a day before. A spokesman for DPD, which reported a doubling of profits to 700 million in 2020, added that it carried out due diligence on all suppliers, as well as audits, which included looking at whether contracts were in place with workers. However, none of the drivers we spoke to had contracts. It comes after an investigation by this newspaper revealed drivers delivering for Amazon earned as little as £2 an hour. Great Yarmouth charity shop closed after fire breaks out. A charity shop in Great Yarmouth has been closed after suffering significant smoke damage when a fire broke out at its entrance. Norfolk Fire and Rescue Service were called to reports of the fire at the Sue Ryder charity shop on Regent Street just after 9am on Tuesday, April the 27th. Appliances from Great Yarmouth attended the premises with crew wearing breathing apparatus and using both main and hose wheel jets to extinguish the fire. A thermal imaging camera was then used to check for hotspots. Raymond Ferry, who witnessed the response, said it was very upsetting and that he was saddened for staff as the shop hadn't been open for long since lockdown restrictions were lifted. A Sioux Rider spokesperson said, A small fire broke out at the entrance to the Sioux Rider shop on Regent Street in Great Yarmouth. The local fire department attended the scene and have completed their investigation. No one has been hurt, but there has been significant smoke damage to the shop, which will remain closed until further notice.
Bloaters win penalty thriller to keep cup run going. Great Yarmouth Town continue their winning streak with another penalty win in the Norfolk Senior Cup. The Bloaters faced Munford FC on Saturday with young goalkeeper Fenn Nichols retaining his place after his heroics of the last round against Sheringham. The visitors got off to a dream start when a corner was converted by an unchallenged header from close range in the third minute. The lead was doubled after 15 minutes as a cross from the left was not cleared properly and the Stags' lively centre forward reacted quickest to fire home from close range. Attackers Kyle Baker and Jamie Smith were a handful for the Stags, but the visitors remained defiant with the experienced Will Viner in goal. The Stags number nine got between defenders Forbes and Urry before putting the ball past Nichols to give Munford a three-goal lead in under 30 minutes. Minutes later, the bloaters fought back as Smith capitalised on some hesitant defending to pull back a goal for the home side. The turning point in the match came as Stag's goalie Viner hauled Smith over when through on goal. Referee Ben Green had no option but to send off the visitor's keeper. Minutes later, Smith drilled in a powerful low shot that found the net to make it 2-3 just before half-time. 17 minutes into the second half, Smith completed his hat-trick when he latched onto Barnes's header and fired home to make the scores level. Youth players Tyler Halliday and Alex Dalton were introduced for their first team debuts and both youngsters acquitted themselves very well in a tough game. Both sides had chances in the dying minutes, but the scores remained level as the penalty shootout loomed. The home side struck five perfect penalties and young keeper Nichols repeated his heroics of the previous week to see the bloaters through. Full time, bloaters three, Munford three, but town win on penalties, five four. Of the win, bloaters manager Rob McComb concluded it was a terrific response from the boys. Nightclub on the coast hoping to recapture golden age. A nightclub is hoping to recapture its golden age as it launches a series of live shows after lockdown restrictions are further lifted next month. The Ocean Room in Galston, one of Norfolk's best known clubs, has been closed for most of the last year having opened for only one event last October. Co-directed by Kelly Edwards and Ben Jay, the venue was fully renovated during the first lockdown and now boasts a new extended terrace and bar. Ms Edwards said, It's been a tough few months, but we've been busy behind the scenes getting the place ready to open. We hope people are supportive and want to come and see what we're doing. The first weekend of shows will see tribute acts to the Jersey Boys, 
and Take That on Friday, May the 21st, followed by Music Night, The Room, which showcases local bands in a later with Jules Holland style setting. Mr J said, we really want to bring this iconic venue back to doing what it does best, and that's entertaining people. Even in this first batch of shows, we have everything from stunning variety and magic, local unsigned musicians, to the country's leading tribute concert performers. There really is something for everyone. Also lined up is a brand new variety show, Wonder Cabaret, which will bring together variety performers from across the UK. The first show on Friday, May the 28th, will feature Britain's Got Talent Golden Buzzer recipient, Matt Edwards. The show's host, Taylor Morgan, said he is looking forward to bringing variety to the Ocean Room. We are very excited to be bringing top-class variety back to this amazing venue. I really don't think there is anywhere better in the country to watch cabaret. People of all ages being able to sit around a table and laugh, smile and be in amazement together. Audiences will have a chance to book a table for their group in three levels of pricing and also add on food from a new menu. Mr J said the idea of enjoying food and drink during a live show is something that hasn't been seen for such a long time and we really think people will love it. After the long hard year everyone has had we can't think of a better way to put a smile back on people's faces. Everything that happens in life can happen in a show. You can make them laugh, you can make them cry. Anything, anything can go. The clown with his pants falling down, or the dance that's a dream of romance, or the scene where the villain is mean. That's entertainment. The lights on the lady in tights. Or the bride with the guy on the side. Or the ball where she gives him her all. That's entertainment. The plot can be hot, simply teeming with sex. A gay divorcee who is after her ex. It could be Oedipus Rex Where a chap kills his father And causes a lot of bother The clerk who is thrown out of work By the boss who is thrown for a loss By the skirt who is doing him dirt The world is a stage The stage is a world of entertainment That is really a show Sends you out with a kind of a glow And you say, 
as you go on your way. That's entertainment. A song that is winging along, or a dance with a touch of romance is the art that appeals to the heart. That's entertainment. Admit we're a hit and we'll go on from there. We play the charade that was lighter than air. A good old-fashioned affair. As we sing this finale, we hope it was up your alley. No death like you get in Macbeth. No ordeal like the end of Camille. This goodbye brings a tear to the eye. The world is the stage. The stage is a world of The cast of the film The Bandwagon with That's Entertainment in acknowledgement of the refurbished return of the Ocean Room. Well, as the country gradually opens up after lockdown, the amount of news increases, so without further ado, it's back to Disney. Rooms with a view. Seafront Hotel unveils contemporary makeover. It's out with the heavy drapes, and in with airy blinds and a seaside palette of sandy yellows and deep sea blues at a prominent seafront hotel. The first down hotel on Great Yarmouth's North Drive is coming out of lockdown with a new look aimed at making the most of sunrises over the sea. It means that 10 of its 26 rooms have been fully refurbished back to the plaster with walls moved and spaces remodelled to let in light and take in all that is on their doorstep, including the refurbished Venetian waterways. Come May the 17th, when the government's roadmap allows hotels to reopen, the Garrod family are looking forward to showing off the changes to their guests. Paul Garrod, who has been at the helm with wife Lisa since 1990, said it had been a tough year with he and son William working alternate 24-hour shifts with almost all other staff on furlough. During the lockdown, they had used the time to make a raft of improvements while still hosting some key worker guests. Single bedrooms at the front had been merged to form bright spaces flooded with light and decorated in modern grey tones and featuring pictures of local scenes. The refurbished rooms all now had smart TVs and charging points and in time all 26 will be transformed following the same formula. In the public spaces the residence lounge and Garrett's bar are all about looking out to sea and with raised seating enabling everyone to enjoy the views. Mr Garrod said reopening in July last year after the first lockdown was stressful given the myriad of rules needed to keep everyone safe. This time he expected the transition to be easier as everyone knew what was expected of them. 
Doreen Garrett, now 93, who took on the hotel with her husband more than 60 years ago, said she approved of the changes. It has been very hard, Mr Garrett said. In July last year, it was like running a brand new hotel for the first time. It was very, very stressful. Customers were nervous about procedures and we were trying to keep our guests and staff safe while also trying to provide an enjoyable time for people. But we are excited for people to come back and see what we've done. Hopefully they will feel safer now the vaccination programme is underway and will respect the rules because they are going to be here in some form for a while. Yarmouth flag flown at half-mast after attack in Twin Town. Great Yarmouth's borough flag was flown at half-mast in tribute to a woman who was killed in its Twin Town in France. The attack occurred outside a police station in Rombouillet on the outskirts of Paris on Friday, April the 23rd at roughly 2.20pm which is 12.20pm Greenwich Mean Time. The victim was an administrative officer for the French police. French officials are treating the killing as a possible terror attack. A suspect was shot dead by police during the attack. The town has been twinned with Great Yarmouth since 1956, making it the second longest twinning link in the country. John Stevens, chairman of the Great Yarmouth Twinning Association, said, We stand in solidarity with our friends in Rombouillet. We have made friends and kinship. We feel the pain the same way people in the town do. Mr Stevens said the people of Rombouillet were welcoming and hospitable. In an act of solidarity, the borough flag was flown at half-mast outside the town hall on Saturday. Don't feed my horses, plea, after walkers' treats make animals sick. Walkers are being urged not to feed horses while on country rambles after several were left with serious illnesses and their owners with huge vets bills. With more people going on walks through the countryside during the various lockdowns, there has been a rise in people stopping to feed livestock. That has prompted local horse owners to urge the public not to feed the animals after several animals fell ill. Great Yarmouth-based horse owner Stephanie Kirk described the past year as absolutely awful for the horses. So many people have been leaning over fences and feeding the horses apples and carrots. These foods can seem normal, but horses have dietary requirements. We all have restrictions. It's the same for animals, said Mrs Kirk. One other horse owner who did not wish to be identified said that her horse now had severe stomach issues as a result of passers-by misfeeding her horses. The vet was out every two days for three weeks. Our horse was prescribed steroids and antibiotics for the pain. 
We thought she was going to die, Miss Kirk added. The owner now has to pay a veterinarian bill of over £1,000. Another horse from the local area has been stabled for three weeks with diarrhoea. I just don't understand why people do it, Miss Kirk said. Recently, the online campaign Don't Feed the Horses has seen a massive increase in posts. Dr Mark Kennedy, horse welfare expert at the RSPCA, said it is essential we get the message out to the general public that they should never feed a horse without the owner's permission. Horses may be on specialist diets to control issues such as laminitis or obesity and food that might seem innocent to the general public can be highly dangerous to horses. Even foods which are safe for horses can be lethal if they're not prepared properly, as they can cause obstructions in the horse's esophagus, which can result on them choking to death. We spend money to make sure they're happy and we're left with bills because of other people's ignorance. I wouldn't feed someone else's dogs or kids, so please don't feed my horses. If anyone has concerns that a horse is not being fed by their owner, please report it to the RSPCA. Historic Seafront Hotels Saved from Closure in Group Buyout Two Seafront Norfolk hotels, which had been set to shut for good, will reopen under new owners next month. The Grade 2 listed sites, Carlton Hotel in Great Yarmouth and the Golden Lion Hotel in Hunstanton, will reopen as part of a Coast and Country Hotel collection, a newly formed group of former Shearings Hotels. The Shearings Hotels group collapsed last summer, owing more than £200 million, with 2,500 people losing their jobs. However, both hotels are now set to reopen on May the 17th, with each site hiring around 40 people, with the aim to actively recruit people who previously lost their jobs at the sites. The group will form under parent company and new owner Bespoke Hotels. Paul Fitzgerald, Coast and Counties Portfolio Managing Director, said... Given the enormous challenges of the last few months, we're delighted to bring these properties back to market. Integral parts of Norfolk's hotel offering, we know their initial closure was felt keenly amongst their respective communities. Now though, with reopening plans in place, we're able to offer not just jobs and wider tourism opportunities, but hospitality services that people can engage with as restrictions lift. With the country having been unable to enjoy the delights of hospitality for so long, everyone is eager to enjoy themselves post-lockdown. And as people are starting to realise these properties are reopening, we've already seen keen interest to book, something that bodes really well for their future success. Thomas Greenall, Managing Director of Bespoke Hotels, said, Coast and Country Hotel Collection is made up of some prominent local hotels 
in some wonderful and well-established leisure locations and we're thrilled to be able to facilitate their reopening. We know the initial closures of many of these properties caused a real stir in their local communities last year, so we hope they'll be keen to embrace their reopening and support the individual hotels in their endeavours. Large-scale vaccination centre set to open in Great Yarmouth. A mass COVID vaccination centre is set to open in Great Yarmouth. Jabs will be offered to eligible patients at the Market Gates shopping centre from Thursday, April the 29th. The site provides an additional option to the existing large-scale venues which are already delivering vaccines in Norwich, Attleborough, Kings Lynn, North Walsham, Harleston, Lowestoft and Downham Market. Smaller GP-led hubs and the area's hospitals have also been administering injections to priority groups since December. The launch of a new centre comes as people aged 42 and over begin being invited for jabs with latest figures showing more than two-thirds of 45 to 49-year-olds have already had their first doses. Preparations at Market Gates have been overseen by health officials from the James Paget University Hospital, JPUH, in Galston. Paul Morris, Director of Nursing at JPUH, said, It's more than four months since we opened the vaccination hub at our hospital, which has played a key role in the local effort to deliver vaccinations to both NHS staff and priority groups. With the opening of the new centre, we are not only increasing vaccination capacity, but also delivering this vital service from an easily accessible town centre site. The Paget has worked in partnership with East Norfolk Medical Practice to set up and staff the new site with support from Norfolk and Waveney CCG, Great Yarmouth Borough Council and the shopping centre itself. Melanie Craig, Chief Executive of the CCG, which has been leading the local rollout, added the vaccination programme in Norfolk and Waveney continues to go really well, with almost a quarter of adults having now received their second doses. NHS staff and volunteers across our area are doing the most incredible job, and I would like to pay tribute to every single person playing a part in the largest vaccination drive in our history. To book an appointment, visit the National Booking Service via NHS UK forward slash COVID hyphen vaccination or call 119 between 7am and 11pm. Work starts on affordable homes in Broads Village. 46 new affordable homes are taking shape in a growing village targeted by developers. 
The £7.8 million project will see 30 new homes made available for affordable rent and 16 for shared ownership. Flagship Group Development Director Mark Burrell joined Paul Pitcher, Managing Director of Constructor Wellington, to cut the first sod at the site off Rising Way in Martham. The scheme has been helped by a £2.2 million in grant funding from Homes England. Mr Pitcher said, we are very pleased to be working with Flagship once again and to be creating 46 much-needed new affordable homes in Martham. We identified a real opportunity to deliver affordable homes on this site after the land was introduced to us. Not only is this providing homes for local people, but it is also creating employment for local people as well. Mr Burrell said, these new homes will provide much needed affordable homes for rent in Martham, as well as giving people the opportunity to get their foot on the property ladder and move us one step closer to our vision of solving the housing crisis in the east of England. The bid for homes was approved by Great Yarmouth Borough Council in February 2020. The site, south of Reps Road, has outlined planning permission for 144 homes. No further plans regarding the design and layout of the remaining 98 have been submitted since planning was approved three years ago. Meanwhile, Beckles-based Cripps Developments is building homes almost opposite the flagship site, some of which are classed as affordable. Paul Hooper, Chairman of Martham Parish Council, said he welcomed the affordable homes but was overall concerned about the amount of house building in the village with a new estate springing up opposite the doctor's surgery and on the former mushroom farm. He said he was worried about pressure on services and schools, adding that it was almost impossible to get a doctor's appointment as it was. However, with local people struggling to buy in the village where they grew up, the prospect of being able to buy in Martham was welcome, he added. Neighbouring schools to merge with new head and logo. Two primary schools have confirmed they are set to merge after receiving the backing of parents during a consultation process. Ormiston Cliff Park Infant Academy and Ormiston Cliff Park Junior Academy in Galston will be merged to create Ormiston Cliff Park Primary Academy from September. The decision follows a consultation which ran in January and February during which the overwhelming majority of people agreed with the proposals. Leading the new school as principal will be Catherine Rutherford, who is already the existing executive principal of both the current schools, alongside nearby Ormiston Herman Academy. 
She said this will allow our staff to share not just resources, but their knowledge and understanding of every pupil which comes through Cliff Park's doors. It will also provide the pupils themselves with a positive continuity and a supportive school environment which shepherds them all the way from the age of four through to secondary school. The new school has also unveiled a new logo which will feature on uniforms. Family devastated after bicycles stolen from garden. A pair of bicycles were stolen from a garden in Great Yarmouth, leaving a man without his means of getting to work. Charlene Stretton, 26, who lives with her husband Kyle and four children in the Barrack Estate, said the bikes were taken from their backyard sometime between 10pm on Monday, April the 26th and 8.15am on Tuesday, April the 27th. A lock was wrapped around both bikes, she said. It was shocking, really, to find somebody had made a lot of effort to come in and take them, to jump the fence and carry off the two bikes. The theft has made quite a big impact on their lives, she added. The bike was her husband's only means of transport to and from work at Seashore Holiday Park, a 15-minute cycle as opposed to an hour's walk. He's had the bike for two years and was building it up. It cost about £400, Mrs Stretton said. My bike has my toddler's seat attached, which I used to take her out. They could see from the garden we have children and still decided it was acceptable to steal. We are completely devastated and this affects our whole family as we really enjoy our family rides as well as this being my husband's work transport. Greenhouse stolen in weekend raid on allotments. A greenhouse has been stolen from an allotment in Newtown. The incident happened sometime between 4.30pm on Saturday, April the 24th and 12pm on Sunday, April the 25th. Unknown suspects removed the dismantled greenhouse from an allotment on Tarworks Road. Inquiries are ongoing. Officers are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed the incident or has any information concerning it to come forward. That's it from this edition of Grapevine. I must, however, give you the answers to our music puzzler from earlier on. Question number one was, of course, New York. Number two was Memphis. And number three, Pennsylvania, with no need for the 6,000. Number four, Manhattan. Pasadena was the number five place in question and St. Louis VI. Yippee-i-yay, number seven was Oklahoma, 
followed by Frank Sinatra's kind of town, Chicago. That mysterious girl from Kalamazoo was number nine, with Elton John waxing lyrical about Philadelphia, the final answer. OK, anyone who got all ten correct gets the same as those who got less. Absolutely nothing but the bragging rights. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, but it's now on to the credits. This recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will again be Desney, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you then for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you stay safe and well, and until next week, have a good bank holiday, if, albeit, a wet one. And from everybody here, it's bye for now. Bye. Bye.